Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high-performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Early Childhood. My name is Lisa Brand, and I am your host. And today we are excited to welcome an amazing guest, Stephanie Pinto. She is an emotional intelligence coach, pediatric anxiety therapist, international speaker, incredibly heart-centered, amazing human, and my new friend. Um, she is also a beautiful mum of two from Sydney and is passionate about helping parents have a more calm and connected life and whilst you may not recognize her by her name yet you will definitely recognize the name of her incredible Facebook community Let's Raise Emotionally Intelligent Kids. I for one have been following this Facebook group for a long time and so many of the principles and practices within um, her philosophy resonate so deeply for me and can easily be transferred into our roles in the early childhood space. So I'm super excited to welcome the amazing Stephanie Pinto. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Thank you. That's quite an intro. I'm a little bit like nervous. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I've been following you. I mean, obviously, yeah, we've met up and we've talked about this previously, but I've been following you for such a long time. Um, And we talk about you in all of our centres and all of those beautiful concepts that you've introduced um, so beautifully into, into words. Mm, That just blows my mind, like still that people know about emotional intelligence um, and care about it, but also that they've yeah seen the the group and seen the stuff I post, and um, it just it just says to me that this stuff is important to people, and they want to hear about it, and they want to learn how they can bring it into their center or their home, and that makes me pretty happy. Amazing. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about how did you get involved in this space in the first place? Mm, good question. Um, because I actually wasn't I wasn't in the emotional intelligence space. Um, you know, out of school and out of uni and stuff like that. And I was actually very emotionally unintelligent (laughs) Um, and not in the way that, you know, I was like rude and blow up and melt down and stuff. I I went more inward uh, with my emotions and shoved them down and couldn't manage them. And, and that led to anxiety. So that was not fun. Um, But yeah, I, you know, I was a speech pathologist for 10 years and I had just towards the end of that, when I kind of felt like I was actually burning out, um, Mm. unfortunately, um, I discovered emotional intelligence online. Uh, you know, I read some articles, um, you know, watched YouTube videos as we all do and started reading and researching and buying books. And and I was just fascinated by this new concept that I'd never heard of. Um, and that I lacked probably. (laughs) And, um, I thought, why aren't we doing this for kids why aren't we doing it in centers in schools in homes why are we waiting till you know people are in their um 20s 30s and 40s and beyond and bringing it into the workplace and into professional development because that's where it sort of was when I discovered it it was so much about adults and not kids so yeah 
Yeah, isn't that crazy? My mum talks a lot about um, the transition in that parenting period and how she became a parent when, um, you know, hitting became, you know, shunned. But what she found was there was no like Bible or there was no instruction guide with, okay, now we don't hit our children, (laughs) but what can we do? Um, So there was, you know, that transition period with parents. And I love that you found something and you're so passionate about something out of a need that you wanted to um, improve that in yourself as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was, um, I think that was even before I had kids. Like Mm. I just, you know, I recognized that um, kids, you know, in the practice that I was working in lacked the understanding about their emotions, how to recognize them, how to manage them and how to navigate them and, um, and things like that. And that is the cause of so much stress and strain in families um, when kids are unable to deal with, you know, that frustration with not having the toy or not getting another one or not being finished with the iPad or um, having to get in the shower or, you know, it's, it's time to pack up that toy and come inside. Like things like that can create so much stress and they're such challenging moments for kids and for adults. And um, I just recognize that underneath all of it is the emotions. Um, that's what drives us to do whatever we do. And that's what drives our kids and yeah, if we don't have a handle on it or if we don't even recognize those emotions building, then, you know, we, we are left with, oh, you know, we go from zero to 100 and and say and do things we regret. Um, so, yeah, it's, I find it's really, really powerful for kids and for adults as well. Yeah, 100%. So where to start? Um, maybe <laughs> we should start all the way at the beginning and talk a little bit about, like, what is emotional intelligence? Yeah, so... Emotional intelligence is actually a a really kind of broad um, spectrum and set of skills or competencies. Uh, When I got trained in emotional intelligence, I learned that there were actually 26 competencies within emotional intelligence. And some of those are things like communication, empathy, integrity, um, you know, problem solving and influential influential skills, building bonds, uh, self-awareness, obviously, behavioral self-control. There's heaps. So um, it gives us all a bit of a picture of the breadth of what emotional intelligence is, lots of different skills. But the way I explain it to to parents or educators is that it's really simple in that it's our ability to be aware of our emotions and those of other people's and to use that as information, like valuable information to guide our actions and make good decisions and adjust our behaviour when we need to, you know, in order to cultivate deep um, connected relationships. So kind of like I said, you know, that at the, at the um, basis of it all is knowing my own emotions, um, acknowledging and accepting them and also value, valuing them and honoring them, uh, but also having an awareness of other people's emotions. So it's maybe the kids in my center or it's maybe my own children or my husband or whatever it is, but having that awareness too. So um, there's, there's a whole lot in there. But really, when we're emotionally intelligent, we, we have better relationships. We are happier. We, um, we are more confident, more resilient. Um, and there's no, there's no downside to learning emotional intelligence. 
Oh, I love that. And I love that there's such a prescribed like set of competencies mm. that are within that. That's amazing. And I love like being aware of emotions of ours and others. It's so powerful because we know, you know, when we don't have enough sleep, when we're tired, when we're hungry, when whether it's adults or children, we're not at our best. No, we're not at our best. <laughs> and that, that flows out. It's like it ripple effects out onto everyone around us. Like at home, if as a mum I am stressed and my emotions are imploding and I'm not dealing with whatever whatever's going on, my kids cop it and my husband and you know we it's it's just so um, kind of <laughs> it, it affects not just us it's it's our relationships and like I said we can we can say and do things that we um, regret in the heat of the moment when we become what's called emotionally hijacked. Uh, and we let ourselves go and we raise our voice or we, you know, yeah, we shout, we shame our kids, we put them in timeout, all of that stuff. Um, but that's all unhelpful and it's it damages relationships. Uh, and so these are the things that we sort of see big changes with when we bring in emotional intelligence. Yeah, I love that. And so you have a lot of people out there that would obviously refer to them as soft skills, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And what's your advice to people around that? Because we get a lot of families, oh, they're just soft skills. Um, and it irritates me so much because there's such important skills, not only for children, but for adults to learn in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, emotional intelligence, people don't realise the amount of research behind how critical and how um, beneficial emotional intelligence is for kids and for adults alike. So when I, whenever I do like a webinar or a workshop, I start off with the, you know, the bit of the intro and I go through, here are the 10, 10 reasons why emotional intelligence is so powerful and so needed for kids um, today, any, any time, but like, especially in these times, right? And, and all of that research, which I'll, I'll pick a bit out, all of that um, is what the science says behind why when we have a handle on our emotions and we teach this stuff to our kids, it is a protective factor against anxiety and depression in kids and in teens later in life. Because if you think about it, if we're able to sit, I guess, um, sit in the emotion of feeling upset that I was left out or disappointed that I got that bad grade or my friends, there's something going on and I'm feeling um, mad or angry about it. When we have a handle on those as kids and we can take some steps to manage those emotions, maybe asking for help or reaching out to someone and expressing it in, in a, an appropriate way, then we don't need to turn to things like drugs and alcohol to, um, to soften those emotions or to deal with them. So that's one thing off the get-go that I think maybe shocks parents, but in a good way, emotional intelligence is a known protective factor against anxiety and depression. Um, there's so much more it it develops and cultivates strong relationships between parent and child kids um, with emotional intelligence are more self-aware so they have that ability to recognize and acknowledge how they're feeling and then take steps to you know use coping strategies and things like that they are better able to manage aggressive people so again that's that we call it the other awareness awareness of other people and their emotions and knowing that whoa there's some anger there or there's some rage or that person is upset about something. There's something going on beneath their iceberg. There's something that's making them really upset. And I can, 
I, I can deal with that. I know how to not take on that person's emotions or to bite back and then to get in an argument. And then, you know, we hear so many stories about particularly teenagers, you know, making awful decisions as they do and, and um, you know, getting into juvenile detention or, or jail, things like that, because they cannot manage those, um, the big angry emotions of things that go on between, you know, friends or not friends. Um, there, there's a lot more to do with resilience and things like that. So it's, like I said, you know, luckily now we have the research. There, there's a whole um, center, there's a whole organization over in the US in Yale University, and it's called the Center for Emotional Intelligence. Uh, and that's because it is such a, such a huge area, um, so important for people to be aware of and to know what the research is saying and to listen to it and so to implement it because the research coming out of there all the time is just um, fascinating. So That is so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love, so, because the bigger thing or the biggest thing is being aware of others' emotions. Um, So when those big emotions happen or, sorry, when we're um, in front of other people with those big emotions, um, we learnt um, along our journey that children can often um, see them that they're at fault. They don't understand if they're not emotionally intelligent that it's not because of them and they're not the cause, that it's okay for others just to have their emotions. Mm, That's actually something that is really powerful I think or or empowering for a child to learn and to really understand is that my emotions are separate from yours and you can have your own feelings about a situation or about me or about this game or, or whatever's going on you might be mad you might be upset or you might be you know feeling whatever you're feeling and that's separate to me and and I have you know I, I'm able to deal with what I'm feeling but I'm not going to take on your emotions sometimes we we, as parents, at least we jump in the pool with our kids, so to speak, and we take on that stressful emotion. They actually need our calm in those moments. Um, but yeah, it, it's, there's a lot to be said for sort of teaching our kids and modeling that when someone else, when we can recognize someone else is upset or distressed, um, maybe even really, really mad, then we can be there to compassionately hold space and support them without, like I said, sort of um, feeling those emotions and being overtaken by them um, and either feeling the same as them or going the other way and, and you know, um, trying to squash that. And for parents, you know, and educators, we don't want to shout or raise our voice and try and stop and squash those emotions. We can mm. just let them be, like mm. hold space for them. Oh, we hear it all the time. Like we hear, you're okay. Stop crying. It's fine. You're okay. Everything's okay. Mm. Why are you crying? Um, Mm. And, you know, that's the sort of language that we can hear um, within early childhood spaces. What Mm. advice would you give to educators in that moment when they're they're, um, confronted (laughs) with those big emotions from a child? Stop saying that. (laughs) No. Um, But I, I love how you said, you know, some of those things we often say as educators or as parents or as adults with a child we say, you know, it's okay, you're fine, stop crying, or it was an accident, he didn't mean it, you're okay, come on, let's go and do this, uh, you know, moving on sort of thing. Unfortunately, what that does for our kids is um, invalidates their emotion and invalidates their experience and essentially 
tells them what they're feeling and thinking and experiencing is wrong and, and didn't happen. And like at the, at the biggest end of the scale, if that's consistently done to kids, that's gaslighting and that's getting them to um, not listen to their own emotions and not value how they're feeling. Like these emotions are little signals or big signals coming up from within the body. They're, they're valuable insights and information about how I'm feeling. And it's almost like a little alarm bell. Ding, 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 ding. Hey, pay attention. Listen up. Something's not okay. Um, you know, someone's got a boundary or someone's hurt you or been rude. So, you know, or it's not fair. Like they're valuable messages. Um, so when we uh, invalidate those and we don't acknowledge and um, validate them with the kids, then they, they can begin to discount their emotions, not listen to those gut feelings and look outside of themselves to, to know how to feel and know what to say and know what to do, which is very, you know, again, if we shoot forward and this was, this was me, if someone had offered me something when I was a teenager, I probably would have taken it because I did not listen to my emotions of perhaps, you know, this is wrong. I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't be here or this, this is bad. Um, I was always looking to people outside of myself to know what to do. And, and I was a people pleaser and all of that stuff. Right. So there's, it, it is a big paradigm shift to, for us as the adults to simply allow whatever emotion is coming from the child in front of us. Sometimes it pulls on our heartstrings and we don't want them to be upset. Of course, you know, no one likes to see, seeing a child distressed and, and um, especially when we think there's a simple solution, you know, there's more yogurt, go and get some, go and ask someone, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, but the thing is, you know, well, just take the pink bowl, <laughs> just take the yellow bowl. <laughs> <Some bowl. laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's too easy to be dismissive and, um, a lot of it comes back from sometimes when we were children and how we were raised and that that was what we experienced. Other times it's just the general, it's the culture, it's what everyone does, you know, stop crying. It's okay. No, don't, you're fine. We want, we, we like it when you're happy and, and calm and peaceful, then everything is good. So I, I totally get that as well. Um, but yeah, in, instead of circling back to your question, instead of saying those things, we can validate the child and their emotion and their experience and what's, whatever's happened. And we can empathize. Um, even if we don't feel the same and we don't agree, we can still show empathy for feeling that certain way because we've all felt sad, happy, angry, disappointed, confused, frustrated, or like we've all felt those emotions. So we can at least empathize with how they're feeling. And like I said, after that, you know, sometimes we don't need to say very much. Sometimes we, we need to just wait and hold space and give comfort and, you know, what we call co-regulate, offer, offer ourselves, our, our facial expression, our body language, our warmth and our tone to help them find their way back to calm. Um, and that might sound like, you know, ah, oh, you're so frustrated. That did not go how you wanted, or there's none left. That's so annoying. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, that would be so frustrating for me too. You know, I felt like that too. It, it is yucky. Oh, that's so unfair. You know, I get that he shouldn't have done that. I know that hurt. So all of those things we're saying, I see how you feel. I hear you and I see you and I understand. And what you think or what you feel matters. And so that's okay to feel like that. We don't need to let them sit in that emotion and forever and, and not do anything about it. But we can just allow 
those emotions to come, you know, let it out with me is kind of the message I say. Um, then we're teaching our kids to actually honour and value their emotions and to move through them rather than squash them down uh, and know that over time when, they're, when they grow and their brain develops and all of that stuff happens, they will know with our help how to deal with those emotions and we can give them, you know, coping strategies and talk about problem solving and stuff like that. But um, That's such yeah, a beautiful message. Yeah, isn't that such a beautiful message? That is amazing. And I love that. Like I see you, I hear you, I understand and what you feel matters. That is just so beautiful. And and from what you said, like it ran in my mind that perhaps I know as humans, like we want to solve people's problems and straight away when we're met with that big emotion, we're like, how can I solve it? How can I solve it? What can I do? But when you talk about like holding space and co-regulating, it's almost like transforming your brain into the sense of like, you don't actually need to solve the problem for the child. You just mm. need to be there hold that space and help them to feel and communicate what that um, that big emotion is. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And if you think about as adults now, we often don't hold space for our own emotions. Maybe we haven't been um, taught how to. Maybe it was, um, you know, a sign of weakness if we showed emotions. Maybe it was naughty or silly or manipulative or coercive. You know, she's just trying to get what she wants and... Mm. Oh, come out of your, you know, go to your room, come out when you're calm and when you're happy or don't show me that angry face. Like a lot of those messages we received in different levels, Mm. Uh, maybe not explicitly. Like I was never taught not to cry and that anger is bad, but oh my gosh, I learned those lessons. (laughs) Like I shoved that down. Oh gosh, yeah. So now as an adult, like we still don't even, we have to practice. I know you and I, you know, meditate and and Mm. reflect and, and learn and we have spiritual practice and stuff we have to work at holding space for our own emotions yeah. because we're so used to jumping on Facebook or Instagram and scrolling or jumping in emails or getting that thing done. And filling and that space. Yes. yes, yeah, 100%. And I've been listening, like I remember growing up, like my parents, <laughs> I was highly emotive. I'm a highly emotive person and um, my parents are not at all. So like they were like, there must be something wrong with you. Like, what is wrong with you? And they mm-hmm. were just because I was different to them, they were trying to find out why and what there must have been something wrong with me. But I've been listening to um, like so many different podcasts lately that um, they're male orientated and it's talking about men and it's talking about pushing that they push down that emotion. Um, they fill every space and they just like do, 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 do. Um, because they don't even um, – like so we ask and we're like, – let's say we're sitting on the lounge next to our partner and we're like, what are you thinking about? And they're like, nothing because they literally – they don't even take the time, whether it's male, female, anyone. They're not taking the time to really listen to themselves, to their body, to their brain and what's happening and, and those signals like you talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's so true. You've hit the nail on the head and it goes back to – how are we conditioned and programmed if we use those words? I, I know mm. um, sometimes that can that can bring up some feelings for people, but whether we like it or not and whether we're intentional or not, we are shaping our kids um, or the kids in our care with how we respond to when they have those big emotions. So 
you know, if we are uncomfortable with sadness and with crying or with anger or we've learned that anger is rude or we've learned that anger is inappropriate, you know, sadness is a sign of weakness or being soft. Um, confusion is means you're dumb. Like all of these things, all of these unconscious paradigms that we have. And biases, under the surface, yeah. Yes, these biases, they come out in the way that we relate to kids when they are feeling these certain emotions. And unfortunately, like I, I'm putting my hand up and saying, I do this too, like I'm a work in progress. But we're, we are shaping our kids when we respond or react to those emotions. We're telling them that emotion is not okay. Put that away. I don't even want to look at you or I'm going to ignore mm. you and stonewall you. You can play when you're, you know, you're happy and you can come out when you're um, calmer. So yeah. again, it comes back to this, like <laughs> we need to sort of um, allow ourselves to hold space for those yucky, uncomfortable emotions so that we can teach the kids around us that actually they're not naughty. Emotions are not naughty or bad or manipulative or a sign of weakness. They're actually really valuable. And we want to look at them and, and hear them. And I want you to let it out and we will get through it and I will help you problem solve it. Ah, and we can get through that storm together. Mm. You know, that that's a lot more that that's a lot more resilient it's a hundred percent yeah and they they're just sponges they take on everything and I I remember hearing or reading this story about this um parent and they were observing their child looking at themselves in the mirror and the child was like oh I have a big butt I have a big nose oh I'm just not pretty and the parent realized that they were actually mimicking what they say into the mirror in you know to themselves Mm -hmm. in the mirror every day Mm-hmm. And I just think that message is so powerful, whether it's at home, whether it's in your service, that they are absorbing every single thing that they see and every single thing that they hear. Um, and that starts to become their voice and what they think is normal. Mm. So you are right. And I I don't want parents or um, educators, any adults to think, oh, my God, I need to be perfect. I need to manage mm-hmm. my emotions. I need to da-da-da because we are all human and we all have childhoods and we all have experiences that have led us to this point now. And so when we do, um, ma- you know, make a decision that we regret or we raise our voice or we turn away and we ignore or we say, you know what, you're not having a turn because you're being so silly and rude. Um, you know, when we deal with things that way, to have compassion for ourselves mm. and to not feel like we have to be perfect all the time because that's, you know, when, when we have that um, that feeling and that expectation, we put that on to the kids around us, you know, unconsciously. So, you know, when I when I raise my voice or, or, I, or I say something to my kids, I think, oh, I shouldn't have said that or, oh, that was too harsh, then it's, pow- it's still powerful to have that conversation and say, you know what, honey, I didn't mean that. My emotions blew up and I, I, I lost control. I shouldn't have raised my voice or yelled or said that or or left you out or whatever it is. Um, it's still a really powerful learning experience to show our kids when we get it wrong and when we blow up or when we say or do the wrong thing and our emotions take over because we're human too. Yeah, we're only human. So you think the power is in having that communication and verbalising that with the children and by that you're role modelling that it's okay to make mistakes. Um, you know, I acknowledge that and I'm really sorry. 
Oh, yes, that that's a it's such a powerful message to show the kids around us that making mistakes is okay and that we all do it and that grandma does it and the bus driver does it and you know everyone um, says and does things that they wish they could take back um, and that didn't work out or you know didn't and were, were wrong it didn't it didn't work sort of thing like to show our kids that um, that's okay and we can change our mind and we can make amends and we can apologize and we can make it up to someone and this is how we do it this is what we say you know that's really a, an important skill in a way to teach mm. our kids um and again like it, it starts with us we have to be aware of when we do it and voice it because it's very easy for us to sweep it under the rug and our, the kids move on and we just oh thank goodness you know oh wow you know, <laughs> they they're, didn't they're notice, yeah. Yeah, yeah but um it takes intentional I guess it's an intentional practice for us to circle back and to you know take grab that kid or, or our child and say ah oh, you know what I wanted to talk to you before when blah 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 happened and and you know explain how we felt and what happened to us and that 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 wasn't their fault you know we shouldn't have um blown up or raised our voice or embarrassed them or shamed them or whatever we did and um and we make it up to the child you know we give them a hug or we say next time I'm really going to try to blah 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 you know so that stuff is is really powerful I think do you think there's like a time frame where like it's too much time has passed to like go back and have that conversation (laughs) Good question. Um, usually the question is, is it too soon to like, can I, you know, is it too soon to have those conversations? And it can be too soon when a child or us or us as the adult is still emotionally heightened. And there's that emotional charge. We've got cortisol, adrenaline running through our system. So we're not, or the child is not at that um, calm, receptive place to have the conversation about whatever just happened. So sometimes we do need to wait. Um and I, I always say to people, it could be later that afternoon. It could be an hour later. It could be, you know, for parents, when I talk to parents, I say, it could be a tuck in that night. Like that's when my kids are usually quite calm and receptive and they're sleepy and, and we can have a really good conversation and they come out with stuff that surprises me. And, and I think, oh my goodness, you're so intelligent. And, and then I can have the conversation about, hey, you know, buddy, remember today at lunch and, you know, your sister took that thing and then you blew up and you you hit her or whatever it is I know that you really didn't mean to do that and I know that our emotions and our volcanoes blow up sometimes but next time you know if she keeps taking that thing or keeps doing it we've got a plan like what else we could do let's think of some other solutions so that you don't end up hurting her and I don't raise my voice and that just ends up in a in a big cyclone so I often say you know have the conversation later um but as to how much later, I guess it's it's an individual sort of basis and you wouldn't want to wait too long because we, we know that because of kids' brain development and how under construction that is, they're very much in the moment, in the present, present moment, which is something we suck at. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that means that, you know, if you wait too long, like another couple of days later, it's not really going to be meaningful for them to recall something that happened, um, you know, a few days ago. So. Yeah, it's such a beautiful practice to be able to 
um, you know, cap the day off with that reflection on the day um, mm. and really learn, you know, and really maximize the learning opportunities um, from the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And do you have any key questions that you ask your children at the end of the day? Or I know a lot of families um, and even educators have a lot of key questions that they may ask around meal times and things about their day. So can you recommend or do you have any questions you use? Um, I kind of go with whatever's whatever's like front of mind for me or whatever just pops out. Um, we don't have a specific practice of, I know some families or some educators might say, you know, what's something that you loved or something you didn't like or something that was challenging or something that was hard, some things that you were grateful for. Um, what was it? I had a, a conversation with my son last night and we don't always actually, because sometimes he's just exhausted or he's, mm. you know, wants to play a game, a guessing game instead. But um, I think last night I just, he's in year two. And so I just asked him, you know, how his day was, did anything interesting happen? Is anything worrying him? And he was like, no, nothing interesting. No, nothing's worrying me. Like he's very, <laughs> he's like a boy, you know, typical kind of boy, easygoing and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I think we talked a bit about friendships and stuff and in the classroom, but that's it. Like I, I, um, I think it's really um, a lot more beneficial to, to be attuned and connected to your kids and their mood and emotions so that you can pick up when something is different or something is off mm. or, you know, maybe a child's come into the center in the morning and you can tell they're more dysregulated or, or anxious or, or just, you know, woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Then you can have those conversations or check in, you know, with, with the child or their parent. Um, but noticing that from the get go is, is um, really helpful because that's the sort of starting point, just noticing when the emotions are different different yeah and we know the children so well Mm. um and when you notice that I I think for me I'll be like hey is everything okay today you seem a little bit quiet and I do that with like educators and children do you have any words that you would use if you notice that sort of emotions are a bit um you know not quite themselves today Mm, yeah good question I think um if we have we as you said educators do have close relationships with the kids because you see them day in day out most of the time for like months or years <laughs> so you're able to have that um a gentle conversation about um what's going on with them generally you know how they're feeling um sometimes i know um centers will have little emotion charts or emotion pictures and things like that and using visuals can be really helpful to prompt a bit of a conversation um, sometimes I'll encourage parents to, if they've printed off a, how am I feeling poster or an emotion poster, you know, asking them, can you name three emotions that you felt today or two that you're feeling right now? Um, maybe it's happy and excited or it's calm and a bit tired or, you know, and then, and then prompting them what, what kinds of things or what's happened to make you feel that way. So what things make you feel calm, what things make you feel mad and what has to happen for you to feel, you know, disappointed um, and things like that. So sometimes having those conversations and just naturally, I guess, following your, um, I want to say like intuition or your gut with it with your kids, then you'll get, you'll usually you'll get some, some really good, um, 
not information, but you'll, you'll build that connection yeah. and some feedback. Yeah. yeah, and it's all about that connection, isn't it? Um, I went to a centre um, last week, did a visit, and they actually had the emotions um, all around their nappy change. So every mm. nappy change they talked about, okay, I am feeling excited and happy um you know how are you feeling and then they would point to like the emotions because I think another thing that I find in early childhood is that we use the words like sad and happy a lot and we Mm -hmm. know that there's such a broad range of emotions be like that made me so sad (laughs) um yeah yeah. (laughs) so just make sure that we're broadening um and using all the rainbow um of all the different emotions within our vocabulary too I think you know what? I'm actually glad you said that because oh, so many, a couple of things. Yes, we often use happy, sad, angry. Like we've got this um, tiny collection of emotions that we use all the time. And so our kids do. Uh, often as adults, we add like stressed or busy, which is not even really an emotion. But um, there is o- well over 100 emotion words in the English language. Uh, and so it is so beneficial to teach kids that there are so many other different words you know even three-year-olds could have an, a vocabulary of at least 10 or 15 um, emotion words right and so the other thing is that you said you know <laughs> I've, I've heard in centers and like with parents as well and it's well-meaning but we say things like oh you know you've just taken that off Johnny how sad or you're making me your behavior is making me sad it's not actually making like I'm not actually feeling sad (laughs) about it maybe I'm feeling um, frustrated because you're not doing the right thing or you're not listening Um, but it's actually far more uh, helpful to engage with that child and connect with them and let them know the impact of their behavior on the other child or what they've just like the the cup that they just threw and might break or the window that they're banging on which could be dangerous like rather than attributing a feeling and an emotion of me, an educator or a parent, to what you're doing, your behavior, that's very, in a way, it's very subjective and it's very conditional as well. When you do this, I feel like that. Um, And again, that just teaches kids to look outside themselves to go, am I pleasing you? Am I doing the right thing? So we want to actually say, hey, whoa, 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 pause, hands off the window. You know, when you bang, bang, bang like that, that can be really dangerous and it could break. So come over here, let's play on this come and do this so we're letting them know that the I I often say we're kind of lending kids our fully developed brain and our our perspective because they don't have that capacity Mm. and we're going hey if you keep doing that this is going to happen so I'm not going to let you and come over here you know if you want to make some noise this is how we can do it or if you're mad that mum has left and or upset then come and give me a hug and, and, you know, we'll deal with it. So rather than sort of, yeah, attributing behavior to our feeling, like me, this one big up high person, um, you know, that you need to jump through my hoops, like we, we can let that go. That's not helpful. <laughs> yeah. And I think too that um, just, again, like holding, like explaining, because at the end of the day, what do we want? We want the children to be safe and we want the children to be happy. So mm-hmm. where do you think like the big emotions come from, from adults? Like, are there, do you find that there's a certain like pattern or like criteria? Because I'm just thinking like, is it out of embarrassment? Is it out of like, um, that they feel stressed? Like where, when we have big emotions or we respond, because um, I know that we talk a lot about like,
like the what is it the reaction and the mm. um what's the other word like respond versus react yeah, yeah exactly and that there's just that split second like I think mm. 90 seconds difference between mm. that response and that reaction mm. um where do you think they come from yeah do you so, have certain triggers or oh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> how long do we have no I'm kidding <laughs> um so the the way in which we either respond or react so our reaction let's just call it to any situation that we have just seen or witnessed is a whole lot to do with our biology and our physiology and that our brain is wired to for survival and to protect us and if we see a threat as in a perceived threat the child's just spilt the milk all over the carpet or they've just whacked that other boy like our our amygdala literally fires off in this protective ding, 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 ding. Oh my God, react, react, you know, do something. And, and it just, it literally bypasses our upstairs rational, you know, prefrontal cortex and we just react. So, so that there is that part of it, but then there is also this lifelong, the programming and the conditioning and the paradigms that we have, the, the beliefs and the expectations and the shoulds that, um, that are sitting underneath the surface, under our conscious awareness, that are driving our reactions to things. So something that might not bug me could really annoy and, and even madden you because of maybe that was never, ever okay or you were you were smacked and punished if you ever did that. So for you to see a child do that, maybe to spit, for example, then that causes a huge reaction because you have this um, this, these paradigms, these, these beliefs, right. That that is never okay. I need to stop that right now that you cannot, like, I will not allow that. Whereas, like I said, for someone else who, um, you know, just doesn't have those strongly held, um, beliefs and triggers, then another person might react or respond in a different way. Hey, 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 Whoa, we do not spit on, come on, you know, not to do that. Come and grab some tissues. We need to clean that up rather than, you know, exploding and, and shouting and whatever it is. So it's a little bit of um, a little bit of a few different things, but mm. it does give us, you know, once we have the awareness of this stuff at a deeper level, then we can look at our triggers and recognize them for what they are and learn ways in which to overcome them so that they don't produce such a massive knee-jerk reaction in us. And we can you know, also bring in the awareness of this child is, is learning and testing and exploring and adventuring and doing what they are wired to do. Mm. And sometimes, yeah, they make big, big, bad choices and really hurtful ones and dangerous ones and inappropriate ones. And yet I can still show up to that interaction as a cool, calm, collected, in control. Oh man, you just made a big, big mistake and you've really hurt him. And I know you never would have meant to do that. So let's go and, you know, take care of him, check if he's okay, get an ice pack, da, da, da. Like we have a, the ability, I guess, to access that different way of approaching situations, which is more meaningful and it's more valuable and it's more in the long term, this is what we want to teach our kids. Why do we need to manage our emotions and, and work to do that and practice doing that? Um, why it's so important because you know, we do, we can hurt people and we can do the wrong thing and we can damage things. And so we need to learn other ways to deal with those emotions. And yeah, that, that starts with us. 
Oh, 100%. And I think working with children for so long, what worked for me, one strategy was um, I had to look at each um, behaviour or each situation as if it was the first time every time. Because I know that it can be really frustrating and it can get frustrating when things start to like stack up on top of each other. Mm. And then you start to pull your hair out and you think, oh my gosh, are they just testing me? Are they doing this just for me? But at the end of the day, you know, if we look at each time as a separate situation, so as you said, we can go in there calm, cool headed, deal with that situation um, and then move forward. Um, And also just seeing what need they're not having met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even even seeing their behaviour as um, the best that they can do in that moment, that there is that unmet need that they are trying to communicate somehow that they cannot handle this and that they don't have the skills for this and they can't cope in this situation and this is the best they've got, then we go, oh, my gosh, like, sweet boy, here we go. Let me help you. Let me lend you my calm. Let's practice how to do that let me remind you it is not okay to do this uh, and then that's that's a whole different approach to to dealing with let's call them challenging behaviors mm. or disruptive behaviors um, which as we know underneath that is emotion like the behavior is just that tip of the iceberg that's just the visible manifestation of what's going on underneath underneath is i'm mad i feel like it was my turn i feel like i haven't had enough I'm not ready to go. Um, I miss my mom or you know, like all of those things underneath they're the emotions and on top is just the behavior that is showing us, we need to go in and we need to help them. We need to support them. We need to maybe teach them skills. We need to co-regulate <sighs> and we need to hold space for those emotions rather than just trying to stop or squash mm. the behavior. Um, on the surface level and make sure we don't see it again because we don't like that. <laughs> no, exactly. And you you talked a lot about like those internal, um, uh, <clears throat> what did you refer to them? The internal um, messages or the internal triggers. Mm. And, you know, that behaviour is just that externally. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. That, that's, all, that's all it is. Um, I love Dr. Ross Green's work uh, through Lives in the Balance and his collaborative and proactive solutions. And he literally talks about a behavior as a smoke signal. Yeah, simply that's the, the word you use. You used alarms. Oh, really? You used alarms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a yeah. little alarm. Ding 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 ding. Yeah, like that's it's literally a. You know when you set an alarm on your phone so you don't forget to do something and it reminds you to do something. It's the behavior is like is like that alarm that mm. goes. Whoa! Look under the surface. There is something going on that this child cannot deal with in this moment. When there is no. Um, when there is no challenging behavior, when there is no disruptive behavior or no the, the big no or the defiance or the stick in the mud or the grabbing or the snatching, when there's none of that, it's because our child can meet the expectations on them in that moment. They can access those skills. They can they can access, you know, that under construction brain and the, the problem solving and the empathy and the frustration tolerance and the flexible thinking. And when they can't access that for usually one of many reasons of stuff that's going on with them in that moment, then they cannot access all those beautiful skills that we have that make us very polite and socially appropriate and, and things like that. Oh, and they, but aren't we all still a work oh, in progress? Like yes. all, even as adults, we're just still, a, yeah, we're still working on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and so something I say, I guess, about that to 
um, educators and to parents is we've got to stop holding our kids accountable for the skills and the brain development that they don't yet have. Like they're still so under construction. They're still highly um, like developmental processes happen for years, right? We, we kind of forget that the brain is only fully developed in the mid to late 20s is now what research is telling us. So why are we holding two, three, four, five-year-olds accountable for not sharing or for snatching or for not tolerating frustration and for not problem solving in a better way than just falling on the floor in a meltdown or, or mm. like I said, grabbing or kicking, you know, I'm not saying that we have no boundaries. I'm not saying that we don't do anything and we don't, we don't um, teach our kids when things, is, things are not okay, but we can't, like I said, we can't hold them responsible for the, the skills that they don't yet have that are still under construction that we don't even implement and use yeah. um, sometimes. And we're adults with fully developed brains. We should, we've got all the empathy. We've developed the problem solving, the prefrontal cortex, the, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. And yet do we? always use it <laughs> oh no and it's doing it's doing my head in like I just watched a show last night I'm obsessed with Below Deck um everyone that knows me knows that's the only show I watch um on Tuesdays um but it's been coming up a lot over and over it just happened to come up in my show that I watched last night but it's about <clears throat> so one person is the communicator really in touch really emotionally intelligent um, is in you know really in tune with their emotions and how they're feeling and they want to talk about it because there's a problem the other person over here person b is like i'm not emotionally intelligent i'm going to just avoid this situation i'm just going to sweep it under the rug i am just going to pretend that this nothing nothing happened and i am just going to get on with my life i don't want to deal with that but what happens is that this person over here, person A, ends up melting down, thinking that something's so wrong, where all that it needed to happen was to come together, have that conversation, because at the end of the day, we're adults. Um, so have that conversation, air out where both of you are feeling, and then then you can move on with your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just like a cycle, <laughs> and it just baffles me. I'm like, no, he, mm. they need to have that conversation. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that a lot for a lot of people, conversations can actually be really difficult and really challenging. And if you don't, if you're not used to having them, if they are um, like awkward city and, mm. you, never, you know, if you weren't um, exposed to it or it wasn't modeled to you as a child, talking about things, having tough conversations, apologizing when you've said or done the wrong thing, then it's really hard to, um, do that comfortably and with ease as you're older as an adult um, because you just weren't you, you haven't almost been given that map I'm kind of I kind of say you know if you if you don't have the map to where you're going you can't reach that destination it's like trying to speak a language when you haven't learned it yet so for you know for educators and for parents that's why what we were talking about before is so important when we have the conversation with the child about the impact of their actions or behavior or words on the other kids around them or on that other kid they just snatch something from or they you know they they hit or whatever um, even for us you know when when a child says or does something to us and hurts our feelings or makes us feel um, disappointed or, or upset or mad then having that conversation from a place of neutrality mm. like just letting them know like I said again you know lending them our 
perspective and our our brain's capacity to say, hey, when you do that, um, when you keep taking all of the pieces in that game so no one else has them, the, the other kids can't play. They're not going to want to play. They're going to go and find another game. And, um, you know, that's going to that's going to be really upsetting when you do want to play with them and you want to share those things and then they say no. So oh, it's, it's having those conversations and, and um, sort of helping them grow their awareness about what they say and do and how that impacts other people. And I love what you said earlier with your son, like to add on that, how you, um, you actually asked him, what can we do next time? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a big piece of the puzzle mm. that I think often as adults we like zoom past or, or we forget or we move on with the day and we're busy and we've got lots of activities and things to do. But it is really beneficial to take that like 60 seconds maybe with a child to say, you know what, I get that, um, uh, you know, when it is time to, to go home that you're not ready and you, you don't want to go home. There's still so many fun things to play with. The thing is, you know, mom needs to pick you up and to get home so you guys can have dinner and, um, and things like that. And so what can we do to make pickup time a little bit easier? Like, what are some ideas? How can we solve some of those problems that, you know, you feel like you haven't had enough time to play or, or you're still a bit hungry for afternoon tea or whatever it is. If we get to the bottom of why it's making it so hard for our child to do something or not do something, mm. then we can start talking about ways to solve the problem collaboratively with the child to bring them into that process of thinking about, yeah, why do I always... You know, I mean, they're little kids. They, they're not going to have in-depth answers for us, but it's bringing that to their awareness and just um, bringing them into that conversation and the problem solving, acknowledging that this thing is tricky or it's tough for them or they always find it hard. So um, what can we do about it to make this time of day or the the activity a little bit easier for them? You know, so that stuff is... Oh, Oh, it's amazing. And I call it like building up their little toolkit. So like, you know, we're wearing that tool belt, even as adults and with our strategies, like they have their own little tool belt that we got to build up and put all those little tools in and strategies to be able to support them. Mm-hmm. And then so they can support themselves. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I want to finish off. I really want to get like one strategy. So we talked a bit about it earlier um, and it's a really common thing that happens around two um, and we've got those tantrums. So you've got a child, they're just melting down. You can't obviously communicate with them in that state. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? Mm. First first step, even like pre what do I do with the child to support them is check in on how you are feeling and what emotions and what state, like what physiological state you're in. Are you going into that fight or flight like this? No, this is not okay. Or come on, I need to like, we, we don't have time for this or you're being so rude or he's just putting it on. Like checking if you are feeling dysregulated or if you're feeling like you have got this, like, okay, here we go. Like um, I'm switched on. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to help. We're going to move through this in a few minutes. You know, that again, it's that place of neutrality. I like to say, you know, cool, calm, collected. We've got this. And, and yes, it's a big emotion. And yes, I feel empathy, but 
I, I can stay this oak tree, which is what the child needs, right? So that's almost like a pre-step is checking in if you're, you know, if you're um, becoming triggered and, you know, it's the third time this morning the child has been upset or he's just drawn blood from that boy next to Like I get that those things can trigger us. So if you're in that, in that sort of space, step away. If you can grab another um, educator to literally tell them, can we tag team? Like, can you take over? I'm feeling like I'm going to blow up or I'm not going to be able to handle this in the best way. So there is no um, shame in that, you know, as we've got to be compassionate with ourselves uh, because when we are calmer, let's say we're able to meet the child where they're at in that big emotion, having huge compassion for the fact that this child is having a hard time not giving me one. And so I'm going to help them to allow that emotion to be released. You know, like I said, the cortisol, the adrenaline, that stuff floods their system at a biological level. That's why we see them flailing around or lashing out with their body or with their voice, um, allowing that release of emotion. Of course, we're going to keep them and other kids safe. We are going to have boundaries around if they're going to grab things and throw them, grab things. we're going to take away what we can simply to prevent our child or the child from um, doing and saying more stuff that's going to, that they don't want to do. They're, they're so switched off. Like you said, there's no talking time. There's no reasoning. There's no reminding of consequences. Like allow the emotion to take its course when they're that heightened and then be ready to meet them, you know, with um, at their level with an open posture, with soft eyes and a, and a warm facial expression that's essentially saying, oh gosh, um, I know that just took over and I know that that felt horrible and you did not want to um, be like that or do that and I'm ready. Like come here when you're ready and we will come down together or I've got you, I'm on your team. That whole um, feeling, I guess, is what we want to convey to the kids. And then, you know, when things are calmer, when they are more regulated, then we can talk about what happened, what they could do differently next time and stuff like that. Um, but all that stuff happens later, like in the meltdown, in the, in the tantrum, that there's only space to hold space for the release of that emotion until literally the, those hormones and those chemicals are absorbed by every cell in the body. And then we can see their nervous system literally come back and, and into regulation and they come back online and and then we can um, have those discussions. Oh, and just focus on breathing, getting the breath back, like wiggling your toes, wiggling your fingers, <laughs> like really just coming back to that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, if only it was that easy every day. <laughs> Yes. And I think it just takes practice. I think practice. And I love, I'm going to repeat what you said because I feel like it was so crucial. It's like having a hard time, not giving you a hard time because it's not about us. And I think sometimes that's us. so hard. Yeah. In the moment, especially. Mm-hmm. It's it's never about us. It's about, even when they say, I hate you or go away or, or you know, they're, they're trying to lash out at us it's still never about us. It's about our child who's struggling in that moment, who cannot control their their body, their words, whatever it is, um, who's lost it and needs our compassion. It's never about us. So we can take out that 
sometimes we take things personally and like that just makes us more triggered but let that go because it isn't about us it's it's simply that child in that moment lost it lost control couldn't access those cognitive skills couldn't um find choose a better way to to say it or to ask for it or whatever and so um that's sort of the space where we can meet them with huge empathy and compassion um, and then go from there so beautiful so much magic stephanie pinto i love it i love it i love it um to so to finish off how can you support parents how can you support services um and what's your last um i guess words of wisdom that you want to share words of wisdom um okay so the best place to probably find me is on my website which is stephaniepinto.com it's nice and simple uh i also share a lot of information on my community on facebook called let's raise emotionally intelligent kids which you mentioned uh and you know parents educators i do um coaching either privately one-on-one or in small groups and i do um you know programs and workshops and whatever sort of fits in with a service um, for a childcare center, whatever they're looking for, we can always tailor um, some uh, support or some consulting. Um, I'm doing some on the floor sessions and some workshops for a, for a center at the moment. And it's just really about where, where are the gaps and where do the educators feel like they need support in managing kids, big emotions and challenging behaviors. And then, you know, and then we go in and sort of help them that way. So yeah, um, I think the last last words of wisdom, I, I often come back to just be really compassionate with yourself first because emotions can be really foreign to a lot of us, I think. A lot of us were taught to push them down or put them away or, you know, if you show them, you're going to get punished, you're going to cop it and they're not welcome here. Um, and so to, to acknowledge that that stuff is sitting under the surface for a lot of us and that's why it can be really hard to deal with our kids and their emotions um, and things like that. So big bucket of compassion and big self-love for when we find ourselves in these tricky moments. Yeah, and I think in community as well, make sure that you have that supportive community around you to Mm. help you with that compassion and self-love as well. Yes. Beautiful. Oh, so good. So good. Thank you so much for joining us today and good luck in your award. Um, I know that you're you're a finalist Um, so good luck I'll keep watching um, and keep touch but thank you so much so many amazing beautiful things that you've shared with us today which are going to be so helpful so we really appreciate you joining us thank you you're so welcome thanks guys (laughs) all right awesome thanks guys keep making every moment count and make sure that you get in touch with Stephanie Pinto if you have any further questions and want her support until next week keep making every moment count Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.